You're listening to the Retirement Lifestyle Podcast with Chris and Susan Beasley. Hi, it's Chris and Susan Beasley here with another episode of Living the Retirement Lifestyle. And in this third season of our podcast, we really wanted to chat with people who have inspirational stories that will either help you with issues you may have facing your retirement or just needing that little bit of motivation and inspiration to do something different. So today's guest, again, we have some fantastic guests, is across the pond in lovely, sunny California, compared to us in uh, very wet and rainy Surrey in the UK. But we would like her to welcome to the podcast, Dave Iverson. Dave, welcome. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be with you both today. It's, it's so lovely to have you. Let's give give our viewers and our listeners a little bit of background and I'll just introduce this. So I, I was saying today before we started, I don't know quite how I actually got to reading his book other than some of you may know Chris and I are going through somewhat of a journey with my mum who has Alzheimer's dementia and is now unfortunately in a hospice, hospice. but I was searching tips on caregiving and tips on dementia and how to handle this situation so my mum felt good about what was going on and Dave's book arrived right at the right time and I have to say I was engrossed in it and I thought right I have to ask him to come on the show and to chat with you so here we are David the the floor is yours we would love to know your story and how you came to write that wonderful book well, thank you so much, Chris and Susan. It's again a pleasure to to be with you and to and to talk about this topic um, because I think it is an important one for everyone, really, all over the globe, and yet one that we we don't talk about enough. So I'm really glad to have that opportunity. Um, I spent my career in broadcast um, journalism, so I worked as both a documentary film producer and as a radio and television uh, talk show host. Wow! And I was Late in my uh, career, really, I was I was in my late fifties um, and busy with that career, and and uh, very engaged in it. When my elderly mom uh, could no longer live on her own, she was ninety five at the time, uh, lived just thirty miles south of where I lived in San Francisco, California, um, and she led a very independent life uh, and had lived independently for some time after my father had passed away. But she no longer was able to, had a bad case of pneumonia. And it just, I realized, well, I've got to do something. And quite naively thought, well, I can, I can do this. You know, I could, I could help. Um, I was single at the time, though I had a, a loving relationship with uh, the woman who's, who is now my wife. Oh, wow. um, but I felt like I had the flexibility to do it. Yeah. And so I did. So at the age of 59, I moved back into my boyhood home, uh, right back actually into the same single bed I slept in as a 10 year old. Wow! And so, and believe me, there were times when I'd wake up in the middle of the night and think, how did this happen? You know, I'm, I'm almost 60 years old and here I am back in the same bedroom, but there I was. And um, my mom and I had always been close, but of course there were, there were many, many challenges that lay ahead, challenges that frankly, I was not at all prepared for. Indeed, it was probably the most challenging experience of, of my life 
but I will also quickly add that in many ways, also one of the most deeply rewarding. Um, but I wasn't prepared for it, as I suspect almost none of us are uh, for, for, for the caregiving experience. No, I think that's you're absolutely right there, Dave, because, you know, I mean, Susan and I are in exactly the same situation, as she said, with her mum. And I mean, we've been doing it for two and a half years, probably three years. Now. More, much more closely. Before that, it was slightly distanced. But we realised, like you, two and a half years this, ago, we had to things have got to change. Yeah, and it was, and I, I, I think, I mean, we moved because we needed to be closer. But she was still independent and still living independently, and we we just wanted to be well, just in case we'll just be twenty minutes away instead of two hours. Right. And but then all of a sudden. It changed, didn't it? I mean, it, it, it was, was fine for a, for a short while, and then all of a sudden, she just said one day, "I don't want to come to your house for Sunday lunch anymore." And you think, "Well, why, why is that?" And she just decided she didn't want to do it anymore, and there was no reason behind it other than possibly her dementia, her and the fact that she decided she didn't want to leave her apartment anymore. And that was the point, really, like you found. I didn't move in with my mum, but literally driving to my mum's every single day, sometimes twice a day, just to make sure she was okay. Um, but, yeah, I, I totally get what you said and, and how you find yourself and I, I reluctant isn't the right word I was trying to think what's the right you just find yourself doing the right thing and then find quickly it's not entirely the right thing but you can't back out at that point and you don't want to you know I love my mum dearly and like you reading your story of what you did for your mum and the wonderful wonderful carers that you had to help you. We've not had to have that part of the journey because it's been us, but there comes a time and that time came just two, a, just two weeks a few ago. weeks ago. And I was so grateful that I'd read what I'd read in your book because I knew I had to make that right decision because mum couldn't make it for herself. And yeah, I, it's hard, isn't it? Yeah, you know, it is. And I, I think that is not uncommon. I think we, we are drawn, you know, to doing what needs to be done. I felt that you and you both felt that. That doesn't mean we know what we're doing. <laughs> we, just feel, we just feel like this is what we need to do, right? And so, um, and I think that's, I think that is one of the, interesting things about caregiving, because if you think about it, it's a very common experience. In mm -hmm. the United States, the, it's estimated that there are over 50 million family caregivers, mostly mm -hmm. caring for people who are old. And yet almost everyone who is, begins that experience feels like they're kind of alone and they're the only ones doing this and don't really know quite how to go about it which is funny when you think about it, because if they're in this country, if there are 50 million other people doing it, well, then how can you be alone? And yet that's how you feel. You feel. So I, I think one of the things we have to do 
better at is doing exactly what we're doing right now, which is having this conversation and talking about the fact that we face a real elder care crisis um, around the globe. I'm most familiar, of course, of what's happening in the United States. But you know, in this country, someone turns 65 every eight seconds. I know, isn't it scary? It's scary, isn't it? <laughs> You know, that means that an hour from now, there will be in, in the United States alone, 700 more 65 year olds. By tomorrow, there, there will be 16,000 more um, uh, 65 year olds. Um, and if you multiply that out around a global population, well, you can see what our demographics suggest will be our, our circumstance. So we really need to talk about this much more than we do. We talk excitedly about becoming parents, but we don't talk very much excitedly or otherwise about caring for our own parents. Mm -hmm. So we need to change that. We need to have these conversations to think about what it involves and to think about how we can improve each of our own societies and countries so that we, we contend with this reality. And among other things, I think that does mean better supporting, understanding, and, and honoring the people who do this work for a profession. As you mentioned, I was enormously helped by incredibly skilled caregivers, all immigrant women to this country, mm -hmm. all women of color, um, who came to the United States with, you know, smarts and skills and a tremendous work ethic but also a kind of, in many cases, at least in my own experience, a, a deeper cultural understanding that caring for the old is part of life's bargain. Yes. Yeah. And I don't think we're great about that in this country. I can't speak for Britain. Obviously. The, we're the same because we're not brought up in that culture. Um, we've got friends, Asian friends, where all the family live together which means when a parent becomes elderly and needs care, it's the whole family who pitch in and they don't go off to some home or whatever until it's needed. And, and that is the culture. And that is the culture of the person that becomes the caregiver. It's certainly in our experience here in the UK, they are, they are the people that fill those roles, just as you found in the States. And I've seen it even in the hospice, just right. about every single one of them, whether they're a volunteer, a part-timer, just the caregiver. I say just the caregiver. Caregivers are super, super important. And the nursing, clinical nursing staff, they are all from that kind of background and they have that ethos of care the and the compassion. It just comes naturally. And you're right, we don't certainly not in our country and from what I read in, in the States and, and other major countries who should do better, they haven't really woken up yet to where this situation is going and the kind of support. We as people coming into our retirement years, just as you are, we have our own health issues <laughs> to handle, but suddenly we have our parents issues to handle as well and I was saying to my daughter yesterday and she was saying oh mom I'm just I think it's amazing what you've done what you're doing for nanny and she came to see my mom and she was a little bit shocked and and stuff and I said you know Louise you've got to think about this yourself you know I would never ask you to 
to be the person caring for me, but I would want you in so many years' time to have a solution in place should I need it. And we've only got to talk about this to get it out there. Well, I think that's where it starts. You know, we don't, you know, I have a a daughter in in her mid-40s, and even given my experience, we haven't talked that much about this prospect. So, you know, we all have a ways to go with this. And probably that's where we all need to start is each within our own families. And then to bring attention to this the best we can and to try to do what we can to, um, to really support those who do this work um, and, and not have it be, I was very fortunate. I had the resources to do it in part because my mom owned a home that my folks had purchased 60 years before that was inexpensive when they bought it, but became much more valuable over time. We could borrow against the house and pay for it. It's it, Care can also be enormously expensive. And wow. you just aren't very far along, at least in the United States, at, at tackling these, these enormous problems. But I do really think, Chris and Susan, that when problems are huge, often... I think the best thing you can sometimes do is just start small, you know, just think specifically, well, what can I do in my own family? What can I advocate for to my own elected officials? What can I do to make the life of someone else in this circumstance easier? You know, we all have friends who are dealing with this too. Well, what can we do for them, you know, Mm. that, that are, and sometimes that's something simple. It just might be calling, if I were your neighbor, it might be saying, gosh, I know Chris and Susan are dealing with this. Why don't I bring them over a, a meal? You know, why don't I, why don't I see if I can shovel their sidewalk if it's December and there's a snow in, in London, you know, whatever it happens to be. But I think we need to think about that more too, you know, just how can we be connected to each other? And if we each do those little things, then, then maybe we can make some progress. I would agree with you. And aren't we so lucky these days that we have the dreaded, most people call it social media, because that allows us to get that message out. And I I've, I reluctantly didn't talk too much about it on our social media, because that's partly our business as well. But the more I started to talk about what I was doing and what we were doing for mum and that, the response has been huge and other people are starting to share their stories just like you're sharing yours. So I I know you do so much in in the way of philanthropy and and the the beautiful film that you created and obviously writing your book. But I've got to ask you, how did you come up with the title for your book? Mm. It's, 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 I know what it means, but I'd love to know how you came up with that title. Yeah, thank you for asking. Well, um, the title comes from a a conversation I had with my mom uh, our last Christmas uh, together. She was 104 at this point. Um, She lived to be 105. Um, and the last few years of her life, she was, her cognitive decline was obviously more extensive, but she could still sometimes be incredibly, um, almost poetic in the things that she would, she would say. And she would sometimes be able to say with great clarity, um, you know, her views on, on something. I remember once 
um, sitting outside with her and, and, and uh, I said, it's so pretty out here today, isn't it, mom? And she said, um, uh, I like what's covering me. And I said, oh, do you mean the blanket? And she said, no, I mean the sky. You know? oh. so she had this, even as she became confused, she could sometimes say things that were incredibly poetic and beautiful. But in her final years, those moments became much more rare. And, um, and so the, on this particular Christmas night, um, I was sitting in, in her bedroom with her and I could tell that she was at peace in a way that she seldom was. She was a very active person, had been her whole life. It was hard for her to accept her own limitations as I think it is for all of us. She still wanted to be out there doing things and making the world a better place. But on this night, she was, she was calm and we just sat there for a long time holding hands. Um, and, and she looked at me and said, you look wonderful. And I said, well, you do too. <laughs> and, and, and I said, you know, mom, we make a good pair. And she said, what a pair. And she said it with more clarity than she had for some time. And then we just sat there for a while longer. And finally she said, I feel lucky. And her voice was soft, but it was clear. It wasn't slurred or confused. She said, I feel lucky. And I said, well, I, I feel lucky too. I feel lucky for all that we have shared, all that you've taught me, um, all of our time that we've spent here together this, these past 10 years. And then she said it again. She said, I feel lucky. And I said, um, well, can you tell me why? And there was this long pause. And my mom had these extraordinarily powerful eyes. She could, sometimes she would just stare at you and I would try to stare back and I, I never won, you know, no matter what. It was, it was she, she had, she could stare like nobody's business. But in this moment, she looked at me with eyes as bright as winter stars. And she said, I feel lucky because there's love. There's love all around. And in that moment, that was the moment when I felt like our journey together was complete. That she, I knew our time together wasn't done. She would in fact live on for many more months. But I felt like we had, we had, we had made it, you know? Mm. We'd had this long decade together. We had always been very close. We went through some difficult times, frustration, anger. I got angry more times than I'd like to be met, admit when I was frustrated and tired. But we'd made it, thanks in very large degree to the wonderful help and support that we had. But I guess that's the other thing I would really want to say, Chris and Susan, is that not everyone can do this. I was fortunate. I had the resources. I had the, the, the flexibility in my work life to do it. But I do think if one can be present, there's a certain beauty to that. There's a, 
you know, in, when you care for someone, you are really right at the heart of life. You know, this, 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 this long journey from birth to death, but it can be so intimate and so quite beautiful, even as it is so challenging. And so I think we miss something in our, in our lives, in our culture, in our society, in our globe, really. If we don't try to be present when we can, um, to those who have loved us and to those we love. I'm so grateful I had that experience despite its many challenges. Mm. And I would, I would encourage anyone who has that opportunity um, to enter into that um, because there is, there's a great gift that can, that can occur. Um, and it certainly did for me. And I think that's just so, it's so lovely how you got the eyes and the winter stars. I, I think I shall remember that for the rest of my life. And mm -hmm. I know what you mean, because when I'm talking to my mum, she has a little lucid moment and she says, oh, I love you. And I'm so glad you're with me through this. Yeah. And that is what so many people miss. They will never have that. No. I'll let him talk because no, I'm going to start crying. No, I think... You know, one of the other things that we touched on earlier, which, you know, if you've, I mean, we're very fortunate like you that we have the flexibility to be able to, with our work life and that, we are able to go and look after Susan's mum and we're able to go and visit her two or three times a day and make sure she's cared for properly. and everything. still work. <laughs> um, but there's a lot of people who don't have that. But I think one of the... I mean, I certainly, it was certainly difficult for us because we were sort of caring for Susan's mum at home for probably three or four months very closely before she went to the hospice. And then you get to a point where you actually, like you said, and it certainly comes across very much so in your book, that you can't do it on your own. You have to get the care support that you need because your mum and our mum needed more than we could give time-wise. You know, she started, she got to a point where realistically she needed someone there all night awake with her to make sure she was comfortable and to give her and medication safe. and she was safe. And, and so that becomes, you get to that point and you start to think, to yourself, so who can I trust? Who can I trust with the care of my mum? And I'm sure you must have gone through that thought process, even though sort of reading your book, I think you were slightly lucky in the situation you found yourself and you and people you needed seemed to walk into your life at the right time. But isn't that how life is? It's karma, isn't it? What you put out into the world comes back to you. So did you find that decision difficult to make? Yeah, I, I mean, I was, as you say, Chris, extremely fortunate, both in that having the resources, but also in the people who, who I was with. Doesn't mean it worked out every time, but I was really extraordinarily fortunate. And what I came to realize quite, um, you know, quite soon was, um, 
how valuable those friendships became. The women who helped me became close friends. You know, I saw one of them just uh, two weekends ago. I'm trying to get three of them over here to my wife and my home for, for lunch uh, in, a, in a week. Um, they become incredibly um, Im important. And I just had so much respect for their skill because it, yes, it's compassion. Yes, it's kindness and, and warmth. But you know, there's also great skill in caring for someone in need. The, you know, my, my mom had beautiful skin almost until the day she died, even though she was bedridden for the last two years largely of her life. Well, that doesn't happen by accident. That happens because you have someone who's skilled enough and knows how to turn someone at the right time, to apply the right lotion, to uh, pillow someone in the right way, to change their clothes and, and um, cleanse and bathe and all of that. That's, that's skill. Mm. I, I learned skills I never thought I would learn over time, how to dress my mom, how to move her from bed to commode and back again. But I never developed that kind of, of, of skill. We need to respect and, and honor that. I think we take it for granted sometimes. You know, We tend to say, well, of course we want skilled immigrants coming to this country, but we say that really meaning like, well, technological skills. We don't think about the, the skill of keeping someone's skin nice, you know? But, th but that's a real skill. And guess what? We're all gonna need that skill. Oh, yes. <laughs> um, we, we need to be more, more tuned in to, to that and, and honor that. But yes, it was, I was so fortunate and, and, and so, really lucky to, to find the people um, that I did. Um, but that's life changing in its own way too. I'm a different person now than I was 10 years ago. Um, I thought I knew a lot more than I did. You know? <laughs> I, I had a pretty good opinion of my own abilities. Well, I learned that a lot of things I couldn't do and that's good, you know, it's good. Even if you're later in life, I'm now 73 years old. It's, it's good to, to keep learning. David, you don't look 73 years old. <laughs> you don't, seriously. You look really good because you've got your own health issues as well, haven't you? You know, and, and, and I think all of us are going to have that and still be doing this kind of thing for our own family members. It's, mm -hmm. Right. And I do have some health challenges. Again, I'm fortunate. Um, the condition I have, Parkinson's disease, affects people in very different ways. I happen to be extremely fortunate in the progression of my own condition. And I, I'm very lucky. And I'm lucky to have been able to keep up a good exercise regimen and do things that have been helpful. Um, but that's something, you know, I think one thing you often hear people say, at least it's said a lot in, in this country, which is, well, you, you, know, you can't really take care of someone else unless you take care of yourself first. And that's true in theory, but honestly, it's, it's, it's so much easier said than done. If, if, you, if you don't have the resources that I had, or it sounds like you have, you have to take care of someone else and not take care of yourself. You have to, if that person has to get to the bathroom and you're wanting to go out to lunch, well, guess what? You have to, you have to, you have to take care of that. You, you can't just 
um, do what you want to take care of yourself. So we need to we need to recognize that that's hard and help those around us who are who are who are in in need, um, who are caring for someone else. A, a story I once heard that I, I loved was a an author and and a technology executive in this country, a woman named Cheryl Sandberg, who who said the best thing that happened to her after her husband died tragically at a young age was someone who just called her up and said, Cheryl, I'm bringing you you a cheeseburger. Do you want mayonnaise or mustard? (laughs) (laughs) And she said, you know, that's all I needed. I, I just, I don't, it's so much better if you just offer that, you know, than say, well, let me know if I can help. If you just say, I'm coming over to mow your lawn or I'm coming over and bringing you a cheeseburger. That's sometimes all a caregiver needs to be able to take care of themselves. Yeah. So I think that's something we need to remember for it, each other too, you know? It's just being able to take yourself away from that caregiving environment just for a few minutes just to feel normal for a few minutes and that someone loves and cares for you and we're so lucky we've got lovely neighbors here even though we know them not particularly well because we haven't lived here all our lives but they know our situation our neighbor even last night she said i noticed your car hasn't been here all day is everything okay exactly exactly oh my goodness neighborhood is is so important and I worry in this time, and maybe this is um, uh, something that is more common for someone of my age to say, but in our social media oriented world, we sometimes I think forget that social can just mean knocking on someone's door, not just sending out a a tweet. And um, (laughs) we're so, we're so, you know, we also live in a neighborhood where we watch out for each other. Yeah. That, that's of just enormous value. And we, you know, I don't know about the UK, but as you know, in the, in the, in the, in the States right now, we're so divided. We're so bitterly divided politically. I just wish that topics like this, like caregiving could cross that divide, you know, whether you need care doesn't depend on your politics. You know? No, not at all. Exactly. No. Does it depend on you, on your your race or or religion or anything else? It's a human need, and we ought to. When topics like this come up, I just wish we could approach it that way. You know that we are in the end, we're all neighbors. We're all God's children, and and to be able to look at each other this way, the way you, the three of us are looking at each other right now, really does matter. Yeah, you're absolutely right. We're honestly, it, I think it's a perfect close to what we can all do if we just open our eyes, listen with these and see just a small thing that each of us can do. You're an advocate for support and love for caregivers we certainly are we will do everything we can to get our message out there your book is the start you've got your film what's next for you in this this story then oh I don't know um Susan I 
I feel lucky and grateful to have been able to write this story. I, I hope it resonates with people. I hope it sparks conversations like the one we're having today. Um, I'm the, the proceeds from the book, such as they are, will go to benefit three wonderful organizations, including the Michael J. Fox Foundation for yeah. Parkinson's Research and Dance for Parkinson's, which is, a, is in, in London uh, too. Um, and, and other elder care support. So um, I hope it can do some good. And, um, and then I, I, uh, I think I just want to try to be a good neighbor. You know, I think, I think that's what's, 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 what's yeah. nice. And, uh, and if I'm ever in London, I'll, I'll knock on your door. So, and if you know. we're ever in California, you can be sure we're going to look you up. <laughs> and we are, we're actually traveling all being well. We're, we're starting to travel again. We are yeah. starting to travel yeah. again, and we should. Now mum is in, in safely cared for. We, we're hoping to be in the States in June. We're going to New York for um, an event. Chris and I are working with um, a mental wellness company. Um, oh. I think this is so such an important part of what we can give back through our association with that and helping to get the message out there. So, yeah, we're very excited. So I think that, that's the thing. So if you haven't read this book, oh, you've got to. Whether, you're in, whether you're a caregiver or not, you should read this book because it just might prepare you for what is coming. So where can they find it, David? Tell us where they can find your book. Well, thank you, uh, Chris and Susan. Um, the book is called Winter Stars, An Elderly Mother, An Aging Son, and Life's Final Journey. It's available online uh, through the usual sources, Amazon and the like, but you can also order it at your favorite neighborhood uh, bookstore, um, which I love trying to support. Uh, so if it's not in stock at your own bookstore, uh, you can call them and, and ask them to get it and they can get it in for you. And again, the proceeds go to benefit three marvelous organizations. And and thank you so much, um, Chris and Susan. It's really been a, a joy to be able to, to speak with you. I, I feel like uh, I've, I've gained a couple of friends in the last uh, 40 minutes. So that's a lovely thing too. Thank you. Thank I, you. And we have enjoyed it so, so much. Um, just to conclude this, I think your website is um, daveiversonauthor.com, if I'm correct. Um, should, so I anyone should, can go there and have a look. I, sh I should hire you as my agent. I, who, uh, <laughs> oh, well, you know, that that's what I do for a living. So. <laughs> I'm not even uh, mentioning my own website, but yes, no, daveiversonauthor.com. Thanks. This, this, is, this is giving back. This is what caregiving is about at the end of the day. So may I thank everybody who has joined us here on our podcast uh, or on our web show. Uh, David, thank you so much for joining us, for giving us your time and for your amazing message, which we hope between us, we can get into the hands of all those that needed. So thank you for everyone for watching, for listening, and we will see you on the next episode of Living the Retirement Lifestyle. Bye for now. now. This is the Retirement Lifestyle Podcast with Chris and Susan Beasley.